Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Ashvin, I've got Brian on the phone with me, and on this week's episode we're going to be talking about the 2007 film The Mist, based on a story by Stephen King, directed by Frank Darabont and starring Thomas Jane, Marsha Gay Harden, Nathan Gamble, and Sam Witwer. In this film, a mysterious mist takes over a small town, capturing a group of survivors in a supermarket where they must battle monsters both inside and outside the store. If you are new to our show, Brian and I will have a spoiler-free discussion up front. We'll just review the background of the film, then we'll take a quick break and jump into the plot, the spoilers, and our review. Brian, I believe you had seen this film before, correct? Yep, I've seen it at least once before, but it had been a while, so I was excited to rewatch it when you chose it. Yeah, same for me. I think I saw it only in theaters. Had you seen it outside of theaters yet? I No, I never saw it in theaters, I don't think. I think I saw it at home a couple years after. Okay, cool. And were you familiar with the story growing up? No, I wasn't. It was a novella written in 1980, but no, I was not familiar. Were you? uh, Yeah, I read this one uh, a long time ago. It was one of my favorite Stephen King stories. Um, So yeah, I was was really excited that this uh, got made into a film. Um, Have you read it yet? No, I still have not read it. Okay, cool. Uh, Yeah, I I think it's like worth a read. And um, I know like we've reviewed his other films and talked about him a bunch. Are you a fan of Stephen King? Well, yeah, I still haven't read that many of his books or stories, aside from, I feel like I read a collection of short stories called The Night Shift, I want to say it was called, and Mm. I read Misery and The Shining and maybe one other one, but yeah, I just feel like I watch so much horror, when I go to read, I'm usually drawn towards something else. Yeah. Me too. I, yeah, horror, I, I love watching it. Uh, writer-wise, I mean, Stephen King, like, there's, there's no doubting that he's probably, like, the biggest legend when it comes to horror books just because of, like, the volume of things he's put out and how many films have been made from his work. But, yeah, his, his long-form stories are just way too long for you. I'm surprised you, you got through, like, The Shining and, and Misery. I don't remember either one of those being particularly long. I know I've oh. seen some of his books that are real thick, but... Yeah, but yeah. I mean, it, as far as his adaptations and impact on horror, I'm a fan. Yeah, yeah, me too, uh, for the most part. And uh, yeah, we should maybe talk about like our favorite King movies in a little bit. But um, yeah, we've we've taken. I remember like a few years ago, it was almost like there were like three or four King adaptations coming out every year. So I feel like that's kind of slowed down a bit in the last year or two, hasn't it? Um, maybe in the last year or two, but. When was in the tall grass? I guess maybe that was a few years back. I think that was a few years back, yeah. Like the Sometimes it's... I feel like some smaller ones are coming to Netflix and stuff. Oh, yeah. Now I think a lot of them are going the show route, probably. Right. Yep. Where about those, yeah. I was thinking it could be fun some episode to do like a top five Stephen King adaptation. Oh, yeah. We should. I you almost know... wanted to have uh, Steve Markley join us for that one, but I didn't know if it would seem kind of sycophantic. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking... <laughs> Speaking of Steve Markley, I thought it's time we were reviewing this. So for those listeners who might be new to our show, we had Steve Markley on back in, what was that, like 2018, 2019? Yeah, I can't remember what year it was. It was back there. Yeah, for the movie Misery. And Stephen Markley, if you're not aware, is a writer. He's He wrote a book called Ohio that Stephen King is a huge fan of. And just last week, Stephen King 
touted or like tweeted about um, Mark Lee's new book coming out, The Deluge. Is that what it's called? The Deluge. The Deluge. Is it? <laughs> the Day of the Luge? The <laughs> The Deluge. The Deluge, okay, yeah. Which is coming out uh, next year. But it's really exciting because Mark Lee's a big fan of King for some reason. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool that this guy's on King's radar. And I'm really excited for that book. So yeah, we should have Steve Mark Lee back on the show before that book comes out. We should. And I mean, you didn't mention the whole reason we had him on the show. It's just because he's our friend who's incidentally a writer um, who's who's books have been blown up lately <laughs> largely i mean at least in partly due to stephen king's rave reviews uh can i read stephen king's tweet oh yeah go for it before we we won't make this whole show hey look how cool our friend is but we'll just get it out <laughs> real quick i was gonna go the opposite direction but yeah let's see. <laughs> <laughs> would you say you're gonna go the yeah we could just talk about all the horrible things he's done yeah. uh so king <laughs> tweeted the deluge by stephen markley this book is simply put a modern classic if you read it, you'll never forget it. Oh, if you read it, you'll never forget it. Coming in January, I'll remind you. Prophetic, terrifying, uplifting. Wow. Those are high words from King. Which So, yeah. Boy, man, you got me questioning. When you mispronounce a word, <laughs> I get in my own head about whether or not I know how to pronounce... <laughs> Success. ...a word, and it is starting to fuck with me a little bit. I know, man. I'm here to make everyone question the English language. Uh Starting from the basics. <laughs> it's a trip sometimes, man. Yeah, yeah, I know, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, it, it, yeah, I recommend, uh, not just because we're friends with Stephen Markley, but uh, Ohio, I thought, was like a really compelling book, really scary, and I'm excited for this new one. And it, it's it's funny because I, I just think, like, his writing is a lot scarier and more effective than anything I've read by King. Like, uh, and, and I think when you're someone who comes from maybe a more comedic background, which I know Stephen Markley's older books were... Um, We've seen that, like with Jordan Peele and stuff. Like comedy lends itself so well to horror. So I, I feel like if King had a background of comedy, that might have made his work a little stronger. All right. So you're saying Steve Markley is a better writer than Stephen King? I think so. I think King might be a little bit overrated, or I don't know. I'm, yeah. So, I, he certainly has his flaws. I think I think there are people who see his flaws, especially now that pop culture is so inundated with so many of his creations, right? And his style that I think there are detractors for sure yeah a lot of repetition in his stories even in this one you're talking about i think it takes place in maine probably you got the <laughs> dynamic of like the people who live there versus the out-of-towners uh it's like that's like all he like ever writes about yeah yep this definitely takes place in maine yeah so the director i i didn't know this this, this is really cool he directed the green mile and shawshank so this was his third uh stephen king movie First one that, like, I think is on the scarier side. I don't think Green Mile is a horror film, is it? No. Drama. Drama, yeah. And uh, he was also a writer for Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. Um, and I think this was the last film he's done. He went on to do the first season of The Walking Dead. He was the main writer, director. Or I think he developed it and he was the executive producer, which that's that's kind of a huge legacy. To have. Right, this guy's got like gigantic contributions to TV and film. Like I know, I know. Which, Shawshank, I mean, Green Mile, The Walking yeah. Dead. I mean, that's wild. There's many other credits he's got too in various roles. We can't even read all of it. But I'm surprised he's not more of like a well-known like house, household name. He's he's done a lot. Yeah, it's funny because I knew the name sounded familiar, so I was like excited to get into the research and be like, all right, I got to figure out what I know this name from. And yeah, Shawshank yeah. Redemption is is why primarily 
Yeah, I know. That's a huge one. Um, I did think it was funny in the cast to see like so many Walking Dead characters. And then it made sense when I saw that he was one of the creators behind it. Did you notice right. all, all of them? I did not notice all of them. Well, I knew Lori Holden was. Um, she plays Andrea in The Walking Dead and she plays uh, Amanda in this. So I knew she was in The Walking Dead, but then I knew Jeffrey DeMunn and, um, oh, I can't remember the other woman's name. They both looked familiar. Yeah. But I didn't realize until I researched, oh, there. They're from yeah. The Walking Dead. I know. Um, but Carol, yeah, he... It, actually, it's Carol. In Carol, the, in yeah. Carol from The yeah. Walking Dead. Is in, yeah, he likes to work with people repeatedly. There's a lot of recurring roles in his movie. So that's always right. interesting and fun when you see... Um, a director do that even um bill sadler who was in this uh he was in shawshank redemption and the green mile oh okay cool he played uh he also played death from bill and ted's bogus journey nice we just saw him in vfw oh cool nice. and the demon knight who is he in this movie i don't remember his name he's one of the locals and he's kind of the casting of villainous role for a moment when he encourages one of the guys to go outside oh, okay. and our main character gets in a fist fight with him yeah oh that guy and he kind of okay. comes around cool also Can't remember his name the shermanator from american pie i think is also in this one what isn't he i think the the, the kid who goes outside and gets killed isn't he oh <laughs> that was the shermanator wasn't it <laughs> yeah oh Random, uh, dude in there <laughs> he was shermanated <laughs> yeah he, he got it coming <laughs> Um, your friend, uh, Greg Nicotero worked on this or the name yep. you always like to drop on. Right. Yeah. Steve Markley is our real friend, Greg Nicotero. Not actually. Your imaginary friend. <laughs> but yeah, KNBFX worked on this group. KNBEFX worked. KNBEFX group worked on this movie is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And it's funny cause it's a movie you think of as purely CG, right. but Nicotero was credited as a puppeteer. Like they played a role in the creature design uh so not only yeah. did they do some of the gore on the people but there was cg but there was a lot of practical stuff with some of these creatures too oh okay got it yeah i was really surprised to see his name on this uh so even it was just like certain things were cg i and then others were actually practical effects yeah right and we can okay. talk about maybe some of the scenes in the review where some of those things are more noticeable than others yeah okay Cool. Um, so yeah, huge ensemble of a cast here. Uh, a lot of people who've been in movies through the decades uh, doing a lot of TV shows. Thomas Jane, I think, is a big one. Uh, you ever see a show, Hung? I never saw Hung. Think Did you get think, into that? Uh, I think I watched the first season. Uh, I think he was like, supposed to have a big dick or something. That's, that's the gist of the show. Yeah, um, I gathered that from the title. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then, um, let's see, what else? The pretty well-reviewed film, 71% Rotten Tomatoes. It's uh, up there. Yeah, yeah, and then 65 from users. Hmm, okay. So I actually yeah. found these, I mean, 72 is fresh, but or 71 or whatever it was, but... Oh, is 71 fresh? Actually, I thought 80 plus had to be fresh. Anything above 60 is considered fresh. Oh, wow. That's a low bar for fresh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, did we mention Frank Darabont was Oscar nominated a few times for no. Best Adapted Screenplay for Shawshank and the Green Mile and Best Picture for the Green Mile? Wow, no. He never won? Never won, no. Hmm. I feel, Shawshank and Green Mile had to have like, won some awards though, back in the day, right? Yeah, I'm sure they won some awards, but it's 
perhaps not uh, Oscars, or if they did, it might have been for some of the like below the line type stuff. Sure, and I know Green Mile was Stephen King, Shawshank uh, also Stephen King, so that's wild. His range is kind of uh, crazy that he can do like yeah, you. Stuff for, and... I mean, Stand by Me, you forget he does this other stuff. It's not yeah, horror, right? Right. Let's make it into good movies. Um, I think this was a box office success. Had a budget of about eighteen million, made about fifty-seven million. So I'd say like a, a moderate success. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, moderate success. It, it probably made its money back. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also turned into a TV series in 2017 that didn't do as well. Oh, is it still going or is it ended? No, it aired for only one season and was canceled after that. It oh. kind of had middle-of-the-road road reviews, and then yeah. the ratings dropped pretty steeply after the first episode. Okay. I wonder if it was like taking a Walking Dead type of approach, like just a group of survivors... And it like follows the storyline of each character or something like I could see it being a show, but I could also see it being lame. I don't know. Well, the setup here is very similar to a zombie movie. So yeah, yeah I could, I know nothing about that show, but I could see a very similar structure. Right, right. Yeah. The opening of this does feel very zombie. Uh, yeah. I mean, the whole thing is very much like Night of the Living Dead from my oh. perspective. Yeah. Bunch of I, characters hold up in a space, yep. afraid to go outside. Human yep. nature happening on the inside, and sure. warring factions competing for power and influence and decision making ability and stuff like that. Right? Yeah, more of like a modern day take on it. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, cool. What what other background you got on this? Uh, boy, you know, I don't have that much background info on this actually. Um, I have some announcements though to fill oh, some yeah. time. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't done so yet, listeners, I guess it hasn't been that long of a time in real time here, but by the time you hear this, it may have been a while, but go listen to me on Horror Movie Talk if you haven't yet. I had a lot of fun with Bryce and David discussing Cabin Fever, so go check out the Cabin Fever episode from maybe a couple weeks back by the time you hear this, and check out Horror Movie Talk in general. And I wanted to thank new patron Cody. Thanks for your support, Cody. And uh, hope you find some bonus content that you enjoy. Oh, you know, another background info type thing I wanted to mention is uh, this is, I think this is Lovecraftian horror. Oh, because you got the tentacles? Yeah, we often joke about our inability to pinpoint Lovecraftian horror aside from (laughs) tentacles. (laughs) This one luckily made itself very clear to us with its tentacles, but we can talk more throughout the plot walkthrough about what exactly makes it Lovecraftian as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, good good plug for uh, Lovecraft again. Uh, I still... Have you seen a Lovecraft movie? Yes. Well, yeah, I've seen his works adapted. Oh, like which one? A Reanimator is a Lovecraft story. Oh, okay. Um, boy, we need to... We should cover that at some point. Yeah. Is that an animated film? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You asked. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm down to cover it. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen a couple other ones. I Stuart Gordon has done a couple of them, and I can't remember now which ones were Lovecraft adaptations. I want to say From Beyond was Lovecraft as well, but okay. I can't remember. Okay, yeah, cool. We should get around to covering. Because, yeah, I feel like a lot of the movies, uh, we definitely covered a handful that fall into this genre. Yeah, we absolutely have to get into Reanimator, which actually okay. isn't that Lovecraftian, really, but it is a based off a work of H.P. Lovecraft. Okay, cool. Sounds good. You got a Ohio connection for us? 
I do have an Ohio connection. As always, our friend Alex connects every movie we watch to the state of Ohio, our home state of Ohio. And Alex says The Mist is a science fiction horror film based on the 1980 novella of the same name by Stephen King. The original score was composed by Academy Award-nominated composer Mark Isham. Isham's filmography is impressive, spanning four decades and over 125 film and TV shows. Most notably, he provided original scores for Point Break, A River Runs Through It, Of Mice and Men, Blade, Crash, The Black Dahlia, The Majestic, ooh, that's a Frank Terrebonne joint, Varsity Blues, Judas and the Black Messiah, Miracle, and the 1986 documentary film The Making of Liberty. Directed by Charles Guggenheim, The Making of Liberty chronicles the birth, building, and rebuilding of the Statue of Liberty by incorporating the perspectives of artisans and laborers responsible. Charles Guggenheim was the most honored documentary filmmaker in the Academy's history, winning four Oscars from 12 nominations. Guggenheim was born and raised in Cincinnati, Ohio. Whoa, is that the same Guggenheim that they've got a museum for out in New York? I do not think so, no. Oh, there are multiple Guggenheims, wow. I think there are multiple Guggenheims. But to be honest, I'm embarrassed that I do not know whether (laughs) that is true or not. Yeah, yeah, that's that's quite a last name. There's I like a it. there's a deluge of Guggenheims out there. <laughs> a deluge. <laughs> a del- a deluge. I think it's a deluge. Oh. Uh, Alex owns a jukebox bar and restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. By the way, so if you're in the area, you gotta go check out Jukebox. We've yeah, had one listener go there so far, and that's I think it. Somebody else has to go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, that's an awesome bar, best bar in Cleveland, I think. Agreed. Uh, we should get him back on the show sometime. I know. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, do you want to review the film, uh, go over the plot, and uh, hit some spoilers? Let's do it. All right, cool. Hey, before we do, though, do you mind if we take a quick break? Uh, I just got to run to the grocery store really fast, pick up some things. All right, sure. Yeah, go for it. Cool. I'll be right back. Hey, Brian, sorry about that. I'm back. Yeah, how'd the grocery store go? Oh, it was fine. Uh, kind of weird. There was this, uh, there were a bunch of people there, and some woman was talking about making blood sacrifices. Everyone was listening to her. So uh, I grabbed this pamphlet on the way out. Some pretty compelling stuff about uh, murdering kids to uh, keep the devil away or something. So I, m- <laughs> I might sign up. You know, I was looking for a hobby this summer. Yeah, <laughs> why not? Yeah, exactly. Trying to make new friends in the neighborhood. Could be a good way to go. It's good to network. Yeah, exactly. Be open to new ideas. <laughs> uh, so this movie opens with Thomas Jane's character, whose name is David Drayton. He's our main character, and he is looking out a window from his art studio and watching the storm roll in. Uh, we do see like a lot of pieces of art here. Did you catch like the like there's like one of the thing and one of like another Stephen King novel? Uh, I think it was Dark Towers or something. Did you see that? Oh, okay. I didn't see the Dark Towers. Yeah, I saw a few recognizable movies in the posters. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if that's his thing. Like he's Which that's what he does. He made movie posters for Hollywood. Oh, yeah. They'd say that later. That makes sense now. Okay. <laughs> All right. That explains it. I, I, I was wondering if like this has like some kind of tie to the thing like thematically or something. That's why they're nodding to that film. Oh, but, right. You know. I mean, hmm. Yeah, something coming in. Yeah, over. the thing may even be a little bit Lovecraftian. Yeah, just throwing Lovecraftian all over. 
So you leader, look very Lovecraftian, by the way, today. Really, the tentacles? Yeah, your <laughs> arms are looking extra tentacly. <laughs> yeah. Is that a suction cup underneath there? Yeah. Thanks for noticing, man. So later, a tree crashes through the window, and then the next day, him and his wife and his son, they kind of survey the damage that's happened and notice that the power is out and the boathouse has been smashed. And there's also this mist rolling off the mountains coming towards them, which uh, is kind of suspicious. Uh, also, because the movie's called The Mist, we're kind of suspicious of it. Um, David decides to take his son and roll into town to grab some groceries, and he takes their neighbor, Brent, with them. And we get some of that uh, animosity between, we understand, like, David has lived there, and that's, like, his grandfather's house and tree, and Brent is, like, this fancy dude from New York who drives a Mercedes, and we get some of that uh, in from town versus out of town hostility. Uh, what did you think of this setup, the mist, the storm, the character introductions? You know, I got to be honest, I remembered really enjoying this movie, and the introduction here I thought was pretty clunkily done. Like, yeah. they transition from the storm, like, breaking a window in the art space to the next morning really strangely. Yeah. Like, they just, they show that tree go through the window like it's some sort of climactic scene, but I know. <laughs> it's not. It's just that the their window got broke, and then they do this really weird fade to black to... On the, the next, arts, right? Yeah. It's yeah. just it's just strange. It's almost like a tree certain moments are treated with like a false sense of significance. I know. Yeah. I, I don't know how to describe it. It was just really unusual to me. It was, yeah. It's not like a it's not a very gripping opener. It's kind of like some random shots. Uh unless do you think the significance of the tree uh is just like that's his grandfather's house's tree or whatever? Or like because they talk about that tree later on. Uh, like, oh, I grew up playing in that tree or something. And the paintings, like, is that calling out, like, some of the influences to this film? Like, I, I don't know. It, it, watching it just from the beginning, yeah, it, it does seem very insignificant and kind of a dumb setup. Yeah, some things here just seem kind of amateurish compared to the rest of the movie, even. And, like, yeah, the mist comes in and Thomas Jane's wife is like, mist? On the lake? <laughs> Coming off the mountain, mountain like that? <laughs> it's like, yeah, those are two places where mist tends to happen pretty frequently. Oh, and man. that was just very surprising and some cringy dialogue. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize you were a weatherman, too. You got a lot of skills over there. Yeah, I'm kind of a mist expert. <laughs> yeah, you know where they come from. <laughs> I don't know. When she questioned, I'm like, I, I, I guess maybe you're right. Maybe it doesn't come from mountains. Or well, I mean, lake. mist definitely happens on lakes because... Water. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Do you water. Need, like a green screen behind you with like some. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, as you can see behind me, water <laughs> absorbs heat different. I think water just retains heat longer than the earth. So yeah. in the morning, the cool air is blending with the heat rising yeah. off the lake, and then that hot air con- sure. condenses, condensates, deluges <laughs> as the cool air hits it. <laughs> okay. Making a mist. So it should have been like a common occurrence then, like that shouldn't have been an eyebrow raiser. It shouldn't have been a, yeah, I mean, mist on a lake is, and mist in mountains. I mean, okay, Misty Mountains is the name of a popular song by Led Zeppelin. Doesn't this lady listen to Led Zeppelin? Yeah. I know, I don't know, maybe there's like a whole backstory here where she's not very bright and she forgets every day. Yeah, how, how Misty Mountain works. Hop might be the name of that song. Oh, okay, nice. All right, well, yeah, so she was obviously out of the loop on this, um, but... Yeah, then they go to the grocery store, and on the way they pass some army trucks, and I think, like, yeah, I, I really thought this 
it's very similar to like a, an opening of like any zombie film we've seen where like you know something's afoot you're seeing like those early signs of tension coming in some early like low-grade panic and uh bracing yourself so I, I think you're right like structurally it works similar to a zombie film right yeah for sure it opens very similar to neither i mean night of the living dead is ultimately different but it's a family they're going about their business they happen to get stranded during the i mean many movies take that same approach but yeah yeah the incremental build up mm-hmm. so they're at the grocery store uh things are a little chaotic uh because a lot of people are there stocking up on groceries Things escalate when one gentleman comes into the grocery store with blood on his face and tells people there's something in the mist and don't go out there. Some people uh, heed his warning and stay in and are kind of spooked. Others are skeptical and they run out there and we see them kind of get wrapped up in the mist uh, that's rolling in pretty fast. Um, but Brian would have been there and just kind of explaining, well, it's actually a mist and the water heats <laughs> You up. see the blacktop <laughs> on the parking lot yeah, retains exactly. the... <laughs> It's just a natural evolution of water here, the water cycle. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, these guys are hanging out inside, uh, kind of nervous about what's going on out there. And in the stockroom, David goes back there and he hears something big sliding up against the entryway. So he warns some of the grocery store employees, but they kind of, uh, they're very skeptical about what he's saying and, and kind of make fun of him and they go out there and try to open the door to restart the generator. But as they open the door, this gigantic clawed tentacle sneaks in and grabs one of the younger employees and kills him. I think by like kind of ripping him apart and like wrapping itself around him. David and the others managed to shut the door and cut off one of the tentacles in the process. What do you think of this opening? Uh, or like, yeah, this first attack scene. You know, um... A little bit of mixed feelings, but overall pretty cool. The tentacles are the most CGI heavy thing in the movie. It it hits you right away, right? Like the it's CGI. Ba- I mean, it looks like a yeah. video game all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, it does not age well, um, but it's still a cool scene. Like it's, this movie is surprisingly vicious in a lot of ways. Like it yeah. grabs this guy, drags him out, and it, he's kind of like sitting on his butt, being dragged out under the like you know rolling garage door and his mm-hmm. head just smacks the door and he like smacks onto the pavement and yeah then dragged into this yeah it's a pretty brutal kill yeah it is uh yeah the cgi i, I had that too that was, that was kind of uh comes out of nowhere it hits you by surprise but then like this is 2007 so i bet a lot of films were kind of relying on this right yeah it's i think we were of- still in a phase where we hadn't learned to uh go tread gently on the cgi yet. yeah yeah uh, and so, yeah, you're pretty sure this wasn't a practical effect. May, some of it may have been for certain parts, but largely that was CG. Okay, yeah. So, uh, you know, and I think in this scene we get a lot of that tension again between David and, like, some of the employees there. And this is more of kind of like class warfare where they're like, you know, you're this hoity-toity person who works for Hollywood and, like, don't think you know more than we do. Um, so you're getting uh, these kind of areas of... Uh, conflict all around with the people a little bit i was wondering if stephen king was maybe putting himself on the page a little bit there right like it had been like a decade or something since carrie no wait a minute carrie was 1976 so this came out in 1980 maybe he was just like fresh on the heels of yeah being kind of a famous 
artist with Hollywood connections and yeah. Mainers being salt of the earth. Mainers being like, hey, you're no better than me. Yeah, you think he was like at a supermarket, like looking for the organic milk. Someone's like, right, and they're like here. organic. <laughs> yeah, get out here with your West Coast taste. <laughs> it's 1980. We don't even know what that is yet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're right. It, it is uh, a, a lot of him in this. Um, so David and uh, the three people who are in there tell the other people in the grocery store what they witnessed. Some are still skeptical. Um, a small group of them who are just led by his neighbor Brent, who is like this lawyer, they are just like sticking to logic. They're refusing to believe anything. And they decide to leave the grocery store, which I was really surprised about that they would do this. Because one of the things David does as they leave is gives one of them a long rope to tie to himself and determine whether it's safe outside. Um, so as that group leaves, this one guy who has the rope around him starts to go out there and David's holding the other end. But it suddenly begins to move really quick and burn his hand. And the rope lifts off the ground and it's almost like this dude's being pulled into the air by something. And they pull the rope back only to find a pair of legs and the rest of the body's missing. I thought this was like a really smart and clever way to show like, holy shit, there's something crazy out there. What, what did you think? Yeah, I agree. I think they're doing a really good job of building the tension, both with what's going on outside and the escalating situation inside where this woman um, is, is just, Carmody? yeah, she's, she's getting more and more fanatical with her religious dogma and riling people up and certain people yeah. are starting to kind of take a little bit of what she's saying to heart and it's getting weird in there yeah yeah i love the balance of the internal conflict inside between everyone and what's going on outside pretty neat yeah. way to balance things Agreed. And, and like uh the scare like without seeing a monster here you just see the rope and stuff and we've seen some tentacles so uh it's kind of been a cool balance of scares yeah agreed and pretty gory too yeah, yeah, getting some good blood in there. This was rated R, right? Yes. It, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. it had to have been. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a minor crime against humanity if this was if anything was, lower yeah. than an R. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, I'm glad. I'm glad they uh, went that distance here. Um, people are starting to be convinced now that there are actually monsters out there, and they try to stockpile a bunch of things against the front windows just to kind of offer up some additional protection. That night, these giant bugs show up on the windows. And at first, it's kind of cool. Like, they're, people are kind of like, oh, wow, like, uh, it looks really neat. Or look at these things. There's, like, this uh, kind of wonder that's happening. But that quickly comes to an end when these monstrous dinosaur-like birds swoop in and start breaking the windows and attacking people inside. David and some others are able to defeat the monsters using some fire weapons. But uh, a few people get killed and, and are injured. Uh, what did you think of the whole bug bird scenes? Fire weapons, good stuff. Uh, I thought it was really cool, and I also loved that it's bugs, but then these bigger things that come in, you kind of expect them to be a, like a more gigantic bug. Yeah. And then you're like, holy shit, that's like some sort of pterodactyl or something? Yeah. It's really cool, and we had seen tentacles before, so it's just a the wide range. variety of monsters, which sounds like it would be silly. Yeah. But... The drama going on inside and the the panic when people see what's happening to their like fellow customers really grounds things. And yeah. so all this wild shit is happening. Yeah. But it feels very real and grounded and you're kind of like right there with the characters. Right. Right. Doesn't that kind of make it feel like there's a whole like ecosystem out there? Like yes. if you have these bugs, 
then like the next thing you have to be scared of is the thing that eats the bugs so yeah it, it kind of feels like a whole like new type of uh nature or something is suddenly like invading which is kind of right cool. yeah really cool I also noticed there, I can't say this is true for the whole movie, but the score is, I think, almost only present when there are, like, bugs and monsters present. Oh, yeah. So, like, inside the store, it is a very, like, dialogue-heavy interaction, human-to-human tension without any, like, manufactured drama, which I think kind of plays to the strengths or just shows how strong some of the dialogue hits is here and how authentic some of the human interactions are like yeah you don't need the score to add any weight to it it's just like totally it kind of makes it more stark between what's going on inside and outside it does and i think part of that was i I read the director was trying to create like a documentary type feel to like what was happening inside the store and the drama and like give it like that heavy feel so yeah the 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 uh, approach to not have like a background score going uh, really adds to that. It makes it feel very real. And so. I hear documentary style, and I think kind of like the office. I don't know. Maybe this is wrong to think. I think very like third person perspective, like oh, you know, shaky camera. Yeah, but it's still very like traditionally filmed, and you also have a lot of like close ups on people. It's just not like a mid-length shot of a group of people interacting you get a lot of emotion and facial facial expression and micro expression you i feel like you're just really in the character's shoes you're not just like a fly on the wall but you're kind of experiencing things through each one of them and getting into their own their own heads about how they're feeling and how they're dealing with this yeah yeah it feels very like relatable uh yeah and like the small clicks that are forming and like the dynamics between the people it yeah. grounds you pretty strongly. Do you think uh, that grounding has to do also with like Thomas Jane's performance here? Do you think he's like becomes like a relatable character that you feel bonded with? Hmm. You know, I actually feel like Thomas Jane's performance it's not bad at all, but his doesn't jump out to me as like one of my favorite performances in the movie. Like mm-hmm. I'm not even sure he's my favorite character. I think he's a really useful means to tell the story i i don't think it's a bad idea to have him be the driving force and have him be who you're chiefly with but sure i was actually more drawn towards the performances of like toby jones who plays ollie the like middle oh, yeah. manager guy yeah um and even Lori holden to an extent it's it's pretty standard performance marcia yeah. gay harden i think is mrs carmody gave a great performance is kind she of is a, frightening the yeah. villain yeah yeah like <laughs> very frightening like- she does a great job. Yeah, I think he's just like your middle of the road dude. And uh, I think the fact that he's a little more, more rational and you're with him uh, gives you like kind of an impartial view of what's happening. I think that's like his main point there. Yeah, he may not be like the most sympathetic protagonist, but he's he's the most logical. He's staying yeah. cool-headed. He, the leader role naturally comes to him. So right. it's easy to have him lead the story. Yep. Yeah, exactly. All right, well... So uh, we talked about the bugs. Um, David makes this plan to sneak over to the pharmacy, which is next door, to get some medicines for one of the injured people. Um, Him and a group of them make it out the door into the pharmacy, but they find a bunch of cobwebs, and they end up facing off with these gigantic spiders that uh, burn. Their their webs burn through people, so they're like kind of, I don't know, acidic webs or something. 
they find this body of a soldier uh, that after he says, you know, I'm sorry for all of this, the whole thing kind of, his body explodes, unleashing hundreds of spiders on the floor. David and the group get out of there, but a few of them are killed or taken by the spiders. I thought this was an amazing sequence. What did you think? Oh, yeah, man, me too. I was just... My notes here are just like, oh, this is kind of cool. Oh, whoa, awesome. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, this dude falls down and his back splits open to reveal yeah. all these bugs crawling out. It, yeah. I just forgot how gnarly this movie is. Like, it's yeah. pretty balls to the wall sometimes, especially yeah. during this sequence. Especially during the sequence. Yeah, I feel like this is one of the standouts. And you're right, the gore here is, like, so great. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the way that guy explodes, spiders just burst out of him. The spiders, spiders are probably CGI, though, right? Yeah, I think all those little tiny spiders probably were. What about the bigger ones? Uh, I think those were real spiders. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. That There might have been some... That's actually a good point. That could have been a, a spot where there was some puppetry. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because I, I, I feel like uh, this didn't jump out as CG heavy as uh, the earlier scene. But this is really cool to see. I agree. It, it's, it's so interesting. It feels like a movie that, like found its way as it went which is <laughs> always interesting to watch because you never even know sometimes they'd note it in on like a wikipedia or whatever but i don't know yeah. if this was shot sequentially or not but it seems <laughs> it like looks- it works out some of its awkward kinks <laughs> as the movie progresses uh that's good it like learns from itself <laughs> yeah <laughs> just improves as it goes <laughs> that's nice yeah yeah but this is an awesome scene well played Incredible. out Incredible. yeah um, so back at the grocery store, things are getting more intense as Mrs. Carmody, the one who's like a religious fanatic, um, is starting to win the minds of other survivors and is getting, uh, starting to become dangerous and she's calling for blood sacrifices. They realize that one of the people in the store who's wearing an army uniform is, uh, aware that all of this is because of this military project that was going on where they might have opened a portal into another dimension, even though he was just uh, kind of a, a low-key dude and not like involved in the actual work here. But uh, they blame him, and the crowd comes after him. They stab him and throw him outside, where a big monster comes and uh, kills him and takes him away. Uh, the rise of Mrs. Carmody, did you find this to be believable? Yeah, sadly, I had a note at one point where I was like, this lady's pretty over the top. I don't know if this is believable. And then I was like, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, maybe it is. <laughs> maybe it is. <laughs> I mean, times. and they even like have, and this movie is oddly prescient uh, of like the political skin yeah, landscape yeah. that would come into play like 10 years after the movie. Yeah. But they even kind of comment on it. They're like, oh, we should start getting worried. She's getting a lot of followers. And Lori Holden's character says something to the effect of like, I oh, no, like she's way too crazy. No one's ever going to like, we don't yeah. have to worry about this. Uh, and it just sounds like, yeah, no, <laughs> I don't want to offend uh, listeners on certain sides of the political spectrum, but yeah. I know that's how many people felt about Donald Trump. Like that's yeah. too crazy with this reality TV guy who's clearly just like, a, a narcissist, uh, yeah, egomaniac. No one's gonna like let no this happen. This. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, know. I, I. I guess you're right. That that is kind of like a real life validation that this kind of thing does happen. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's such an interesting comparison because in, in the beginning, like people are like pretty adamantly against her, but then little by little, I think as they start to panic and as like the fear sets in, 
they totally like start gravitating towards her. And I think the scene where a bug comes up to her but doesn't stab her kind of gives her a new height of uh, validity almost. That really emboldens her and she feels like, yes, God has touched me and chosen me to be like yeah. the messenger here. But is she, what is she doing? Is she... Um, is she saying that she can save people or like, what are, what, I, I, I thought she was just like saying, Hey, the end is here. So I don't know. It's not like she's offering like a way out or anything. Is she? Exactly. Like what's the fucking point? Yeah. <laughs> what I are you think, bringing to the table? It's going to, I think you could probably say that of a lot of evangelical uh, sure. type people. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. there's, there's really nothing to it except just like riling people up and, yeah, wanting people to feel like they're on the the right side of things. Uh, mm. I don't know. I don't. I don't know that I'm prepared to expound too much on all that <laughs> jazz in the it. real world or in this movie. But sure. Yeah, she garners her followers just with like very sweeping generalizations. Yeah, it's like fortune telling. You know, like exactly. <laughs> it's gonna the turn out to be true tomorrow. one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but it seems to work here. And I also thought this was like a powerful scene of like this young man suddenly getting stabbed, people turning against him, throwing him out there. Like I feel like this was a big turning point where he realized, oh shit, these people in the store have lost it and they're actually like pretty dangerous now. Uh, what, what did you think of that? Yeah, agree. I mean, that tips the scale. So like, all right, these people are whole hog. They're 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 believers now. And yeah. you even see people like uh, Bill Sadler's character who were very, this woman's fucking nuts at the beginning. He's now in the crowd chanting expatiation or whatever that word was. Yeah, what is that? I've never heard of that before. I've never heard that word either, but I love, like, Ollie makes a joke about it, and he's like, welcome to Sesame Street. Today's (laughs) word is expiation. Yeah, that was good. (laughs) But, yeah, it's uh, it can be perceived as over the top, but... Uh, yeah. Not really, I guess. And also, I had a, speaking of Stephen King's Twitter, he just fucking hates Donald Trump and <laughs> just does. like spews vitriol his way. So it's really yeah. interesting to see some of his politics, politics and feelings about Trump taking place like 36 <laughs> years in advance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. With this character. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really interesting parallel. Um, so David realizes the danger that's unfolding here and that it's pertinent that him and his son get out of there before things escalate anymore. So a group of them plan to escape in his car, but before they can do that, Mrs. Carmoody foils their plans and convinces the people in the store that they need to kill his son to be sacrificed to appease uh, whatever she's trying to appease. Violence ensues until one of the grocery store employees, Ollie, who you mentioned earlier, shoots Mrs. Carmoody dead, uh, I like this lot because it's like she's got a bottle of milk in her hand and it's like you're mixing the blood and milk. Uh, that's kind of a cool shot. The I, oh, I love that he just did it. Uh, like it's satisfying it's like a as a viewer. Yeah. Um, but he's also then like, I killed her. And <laughs> he goes... He's in shock. Thank you, Ollie. And he goes, I yeah. wouldn't have killed her, Dave, not if there had been any other way. And he goes, that's why I said thank you. Yeah, exactly. He's already like, yeah, I'm over it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> move on. <laughs> move yeah, on, no, Ollie. That, that, yeah, that was a good move on his part. Uh, so the group escapes the supermarket. Uh, a few of them, including Ollie, unfortunately, get attacked by spiders and monsters in the parking lot. David and his son and three others make it into the car. 
they drive away as the people from the supermarket watch them go. And yeah, did you agree with this? Like, is this what you would have done? You would have gotten out of the grocery store? I think maybe I would have taken my chances once things were going that far south with Mrs. Carmody. Oh, really? You wouldn't have just like signed up and joined the cult at that point? Killed a baby and called it a day? Yeah. That's easier than running outside into like where you know they're a bunch of monsters. Yeah, right? Maybe you just pretend to be going along with it? Yeah, yeah. Get, get it's kind of wild, man. Yeah. I, I, I could see it. Seems, seems like the easy way to go. I feel like there's also maybe some like philo- philosophical stuff to examine too. Like uh, going not to compare Mrs. Carmody to Hitler or or even Trump to Hitler because we kind of are comparing her to Trump a little bit. But yeah. it's kind of like the would you go back in time to shoot Hitler type thing. Like oh, yeah. are there certain people who just need to be gone for the good of yeah. the world? Right, uh, right. Which I think almost, you know, a lot of movies maybe – pose that question or at least let us live out that fantasy that life is that simple that if you get rid of the bad guys then everything will be better uh, yeah and but i think it, this movie has some complicated things to say about yeah that kind of stuff yeah i almost wonder if, if it's is, is she really the monster here or is it the people who are willing to like follow and support her and like blindly do what she says right uh, or is it our heroes that are just willing to pull the trigger and decide that was the right move to make yeah, because that's, that's what we find out here. Is, uh, so yeah, they drive out into the mist. Uh, they go back to David's house to see if his wife's around. She's dead. Then they drive through the mist some more, and eventually they run out of gas. And realizing they have no options, they decide to end their lives. David has a gun, but he only has four bullets in it. So And there are five of them. So he shoots his son and the other passengers. And then being out of bullets... He steps out into the mist and calls upon the monsters to come and eat him. But instead, the mist suddenly dissipates and the army shows up. They have a bunch of survivors with them and they're clearing out the mist. And the movie ends with David screaming in, screaming in agony. And I think he yells, they're dead for what? <laughs> is that what he yells? Oh, is that what he said? <laughs> I think so. I, unless you heard something else. I, I think he said, I heard him dead. say, turn down for what? Turn down for what? Isn't that a song? <laughs> you just like um, go to the lyric from a song. I don't know. I didn't notice him say that, but if that's what you heard, he probably said it. I just that's, heard the yelling. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's in agony, and I, I feel like he says they're dead for what? Because like as a viewer, like oh holy shit, if he had waited like two minutes, right? right. How how devastating is that ending? It's a wild ending. I mean, it's got to be one of the most depressing endings of all time. Like yeah, you just it? murdered your own son and three other people, and had you waited. Less than a minute, it would have been fine. It's so in your face, isn't it? Yeah, and you know, so that's why I think this this movie has like kind of a complicated thing to say on people's belief systems, and maybe even like King looking upon himself as a liberal with some a bit of a critical eye. Like these people were very much like, okay, this religious stuff that's going on in here is crazy. Regardless of what you think of religion, it was objectively crazy because they were like about to sacrifice people. Um, but they also kind of were expounding at a certain point in the movie about just mankind and like, hey, we're all just a bunch of animals. If you take or, take away the power, we're all going to like tear each other apart. They were kind of pessimistic about human nature. They weren't hopeful. Right. Uh, 
so I'm like tempted to call the ending nihilistic, but instead it's kind of like punishing them for their hopelessness. For like, their hopelessness or for their, oh, for their hopelessness about humanity. Yeah, like the same hopelessness about the human condition that they were expounding upon earlier in the like stock room yeah. is basically punished in these final moments because had they not been so hopeless and just fought a little harder for survival or for human life, yeah, they would have been fine, but they were so pessimistic about it all that they they killed themselves and it yeah. re- like he took his own son's life. Um, That's interesting. I thought if anything, I would have characterized them as hopeful because they leave the supermarket, which is like a safe space, to go to find like better safety or uh, to, to yeah, you know, to like venture outwards uh, to like new horizons, and that's kind of why they were getting punished, is because you didn't just like stay put and keep your head down. Uh, See, so you would you wouldn't call them uh, optimistic or hopeful. Maybe in a sense, I think it's kind of complicated. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like so, not hopeful enough about humanity to be able to like argue or have a calm discussion with the religious fanatics to try to like persuade them. Otherwise, I know they gave it a shot, but like, yeah, they quickly went about like very early in the movie. Lori Holden smacks um, Mrs. Whatever Carmody. Carmody across the face. Yeah. Uh, which is, again, that was an interesting moment, too, because it's a cinematic, like, hey, someone's being awful, and yes, they got a good smack in the face. Yeah, come to your uh, senses. But then it's totally uneventful. Like, nothing happens. They don't shoot it in a way that that scene, scene is normally shot, where you get to be like, yes, that put her in her place. It's just like, oh, yeah. that did nothing. Like, exactly. they're all just standing in the room now. Like, you got to see what would that would really look like in real life. Like, now yeah. everyone's just standing here. You did that. <laughs> It accomplished nothing. Yeah. You look like an asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I just thought it was interesting that, that something that should have been a satisfying simple moment was a bit more complex there. Right. I Which I, I think added like a bit of reality or like yeah, re- realism to this. It, it made it I a agree. little more realistic. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know if they were like down on Hugh. Yeah, I, I think they these guys predicted like what would happen in the grocery store that people are going to follow this person and fall to their senses. And I thought, uh, what was her name? Is her, was her name Amanda in the film? Yeah, Amanda. That's yeah. Lori Holden's character. I thought she was being a little naive and thinking it wouldn't happen. So if anything, they proved her right. And then they set out thinking that they could find better. And not having found better, they got they get punished for it. And he's like tortured because he kills his son and, and the survivors. But um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. It, it is a really conflicting statement. Like, who wins here? Because... Then you, then you see uh like who won at the end it was you see that woman on the the survivor who like went after her kid in the beginning right at the very beginning I don't think we mentioned it but there's a woman who's like I've got to get home to my kids they're eight and two or whatever eight yeah. and eight's the oldest and she's like won't somebody like walk me home and everyone's just like lady like sorry but you're crazy to go out there yeah um which later on and this is one of my criticisms of the movie our main character is very willing to go out there just to like help somebody with burns or like get some medicine. So like, how's that more important than an eight year old home by himself? I know. I know. Uh, Yeah. So yeah, then this woman, she walks out into the mist cause she's like, I got to get to my kids and we are left to wonder what happened. And then at the end we see her on the like tank or the vehicle, the army vehicle being taken to safety, presumably. So 
So she made She it. emerged victorious. Presumably the people in the grocery store emerged victorious. We also see that they let somebody back in. Um, who didn't make who, it. Into who the tried family. to run away yeah. and didn't make it. And I have to assume that probably happened because Mrs. Carmody had been taken out and was no longer, like they lost oh. their figurehead. So maybe they're a bit more humane and aren't drinking the Kool-Aid anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point too. Um, yeah, there there are a few decisions in here which are kind of hard to explain, like the why they went to the pharmacy to save one person when it killed like three or four, um, and then uh, yeah, you're right. Why not just stay in the grocery store after you kill Mrs. Carmody? And then yeah, con- conceptually, like what does that mean that that woman survived? Like what was that a statement towards, like motherhood or something, or the that yeah, the, the caring about the kids saved her? Or I I don't know. Right. Any, any interpretations there? Because I mean, yeah, it could have been perceived as a stupid move. Like yeah, everyone who's gone out there is gonna die. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot to unpack and think about what it could have meant, or just even. I think maybe that's the point too. Right. To just or it could just be make random. It, yeah, it could just be random. Yeah. And but then also, this is if you want to kind of look at things along the left-right political polarity or whatever. The military caused this problem, and. Yeah. Talking about, hey, the power goes out and humans are just like tearing at each other, clawing at each other, whatever. But then the military industrial complex saves the day in the end. Like, so it's kind of like throwing institutions under the bus, but also saying, hey, we've got to trust in these institutions and they will become our fail safe in the end. It's a interesting thing to think about. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it like makes statements throughout. It kind of contradicts it. So mm-hmm. it's kind of hard uh, to call out like a a strong uh, opinion here, which sometimes is cool as you're just kind of bringing up issues or areas of conflict without like actually saying anything specifically. Right. Uh, that, that has its place. But yeah. What would what, you think overall? Like uh, what would you like? Didn't like? I loved it, man. I thought it was very engaging throughout pretty much the whole thing. There was some awkward dialogue towards the beginning, but I think they quickly shook that off and the interactions became really authentic and believable. CGI heavy sometimes, but after a while that got better too. Either it got better and or you just got used to it. I think it a little bit of both. Um, I think it's really cool too how it's kind of playing on some of these grand traditions of horror, like a big 1950s monster movie and a big... And like a Lovecraftian movie and maybe even Night of the Living Dead a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's got a lot of nuts. It's got, yeah. And it's also like kind of playing on things that could be hokey, like the big, big weird monsters outside, but then grounded by people getting ripped in half. And like the one woman gets bit by a bug and like swells up and dies while her like crush is weeping over her. It's just, yeah. it hits you in the gut sometimes, which is cool because sometimes a movie that's just a big monster movie can get silly but yeah and holds back yeah it doesn't pull any punches so it it makes that stuff even scarier yeah um i think it also kind of maybe shows its influence of the big 50s movies too because uh, mrs carmody at one point is like you know, she's talking about humanity and how we've been fiddling with things. Like, we're walking on the moon, splitting atoms, stem cells, abortions, destroying the secrets of life. This was the theme of a lot of, like, post-A-bomb 50s monster movies. Like, Creature from the Black Lagoon even has a lot of, like, 
a man shouldn't toy with nature and some things are just meant to be a mystery and sure I think that's kind of seen I think Mrs. Carmody is kind of a reflection of some of those themes yeah and that's interesting because the, the time timelessness of this film there are like a lot of like older set designs too which kind of give this like yeah people are um, in a grocery store that's without power in a small town so kind of like it's hard to place like when this is happening uh, I know you have phones and stuff but also like the way the soldiers are dressed feels like very old school sometimes um, and yeah some of the characters are like a lot older too so I, I think you're right I think there are like a lot of nods to classical horror going on here yeah and it's that's an interesting point even though there are phones they don't really ever become plot points it's really right. like this movie could have taken place anywhere between 1950 and now yeah that's really cool about it I like yeah. that yeah no, I, I think uh, I, I agree like uh, all, all those things are really cool I, I love the breakdown of human society and the different factions that go down here um, and I love like the monsters some of them you can see some of them are just like shadows in the mist uh, I thought that worked really well and like it scared you without like showing you everything it just gave you a sense of what was happening and uh, yeah some awesome sequences what do, you, what do you think the biggest weaknesses were for this film um, I think the biggest weakness for me, I think we touched upon them already, just the beginning, a little clunky dialogue, um, but I also feel, I'm hesitant to call it a weakness, but maybe an opportunity area could have been the relationship between David, is that his name, David? Yeah. Um, and his son. Oh, yeah. That kind like, of he's a dad in this movie, but he's mostly just serving the role as the man that emerges as the leader of the a certain yeah. factor of logical people in the grocery store. So you don't see him spend that much time with his son or interact with him that much. There's not even that much emotional connection or chemistry there. Yeah. So that makes the ending feel a little less heavy than it could have felt. Mm. And they also get a little rush there at the end. Like they go check on mom and it's like, oh, she's dead. She's Let's gone. keep driving. Uh, <laughs> the boy's asleep in the back, so we don't get any drama from him. And then you just you see the kid kind of wake up and realize his dad's about to shoot him for a brief moment, which is yeah. fucked up and heavy, and maybe that's as heavy as you needed to go on it. Yeah. But I kind of wouldn't have minded maybe a really emotional moment between father and son in the few minutes preceding that ending, you know, even <laughs> if it happened hours before it could have happened five minutes before in movie time just to add to the weight of that death yeah it Mm. just didn't it didn't feel like they milked the drama of that situation as much as they could have yeah yeah that's even though it was devastating yeah i feel like the son was in shock the whole film like he didn't really have a lot of lines like towards the second half of the film he was sleeping a lot in the car or like at the grocery store so I, i don't know if that came in the way of like them having like any kind of conversation because yeah you're right up front like he's trying to calm his son down or like telling other people like kind of watch his son while he's like exploring stuff but then that dynamic goes away a little bit and I, I thought it had to do with like his son just like shutting down almost as, as things are getting like insane and it's difficult to juggle both of those things and you don't also want to spread those two roles out between two characters because I think it would make our main character more sympathetic if it was mm. just some random guy. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was a little bit of a, if I'm searching for flaws, I think that was one of them. Sure. How the, about you? 
you know, the one flaw that I, I thought kind of held this back for me was I thought the commentary at some points was like on the nose. Um, like I, I think they spelled it out, like that conversation you talked about where they talk about, uh, oh, people aren't going to turn into that. Like that can happen. Uh, humanity is not like that. Or um, uh, what else? Like Mrs. Carmody and, uh, oh, um, i trying to think. I know there were like other scenes where like, oh, maybe it was like between the girl who got uh, stung by the bee and uh, her boyfriend. But I just, I just feel like they really like kind of, uh, like, you know, like in the zombie movie and in a monster movie like this, a big part of the scare in, in the commentary is on the breakdown of this group and the politics between people, what the conflicts that rise. You don't really need to talk about it. And I feel like they took a lot of time to talk about or spell it out certain times, uh, which felt unnecessary. Yeah, you don't need the characters talking about what's happening to humankind on the grand <laughs> yeah. scale within the movie because you're the one watching that and making up your mind about it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, we're, we're getting it. Um, yeah. And, yeah, if, I'm pretty sure at the end he does yell, uh, what was that for? <laughs> Man, yeah, if he does, that's pretty on the nose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the like certain lines, he's like, you didn't need to say that. We, we got it. And I don't know, like, the, so the ending of the book is a lot more open-ended and ambiguous. It's got, like, some hope filled in it. This this ending, I think, is just like too dreary and like it's it's like punishing the viewer in a way, uh, and like so it puts you so low that I feel like it's low over the top uh, for a movie that otherwise like feels like pretty legit and serious. But then at the end to like just be like minutes away from safety and you kill everyone that that felt a little too much for me. Uh, you didn't you didn't get that though. For some reason, I, I think it's because of like the fluidity of who is in the right and in the wrong and uh, maybe demonizing my own pessimism on humanity that normally in a movie with an ending like that, I would have been like, fuck, like, why do we have to do something like that? Like, <laughs> yeah. We recently yeah. talked about a movie where characters survived in the end and I still thought, oh, this was too nihilistic. Oh, yeah. But here it felt a little different just because it was just such an examination of human nature. So mm. I didn't mind that, actually. And I didn't read the novella The Mist, but I did look on Wikipedia to see how it ended. Yeah. And it just sounded like the ending there wouldn't have been quite as cinematic or conclusive. It wouldn't have been cinematic, but if this is a film about like human nature and how it evolves in situations like this, you don't feel like the ending, and if it is an examination of human behavior, uh, you don't think the ending is, what's that thing you always talk about that comes in at the end that you didn't see? It's like a Latin term. Uh, oh, of, um, deus ex machina? Isn't that what happens here? Like uh, something completely unknown or uncalled for? suddenly comes and supposedly kind of saves the day, like a factor you hadn't counted on happening. Hmm. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't quite call this that because you know the military industrial complex is in the area. There's like a fort nearby. You know, they caused the problem, so presumably could be working on resolving it. So mm. I wouldn't say this is kind of like out of nowhere, um, something happening without the characters even trying and they also did like try yeah um but in in fact i think we could be saying that if the characters were saved in the end but they weren't so it almost kind of avoids that pitfall mm. yeah by <laughs> having this horrible it's almost worse that these <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah 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 it is a weird a weird spin on that yeah yeah it's interesting it doesn't sit right for me i, I feel like it uh pulls away from like the flow of the movie and the commentary it's making uh 
But I don't know, maybe, maybe that is like a, this is life, like you, you, sometimes you don't time things the right way. Or you have a bad day and you kill your family or something. <laughs> right around the corner. <laughs> happens to the best of us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, you want to jump to the rating or anything else you want to talk about? Let's jump to the rating. All right, well, how many baby spiders coming out of a dead body would you give this one? I give this 4.5 baby spiders coming out of a dead body. I forgot how awesome this movie is. It's so creative. It keeps coming up with new things to happen that freak me out. Yeah. And the creatures, we've talked about, you know, whether they're practical or CGI and how that looks, but I don't know if we've talked too much about the design. Maybe you did a little bit, but they all look really cool, like very creative monsters, whether it be a bug or a tentacled thing or some, like, giant walking. Like, the thing at the end was almost like a dinosaur. It was... All you saw was a silhouette, but it was really intriguing. Yeah, like six legs coming out mm-hmm. of the sky. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it creates like such an amazing world. Uh, and yeah, you're right. The, the variety of uh, monsters is, is a lot of fun here. Yeah, yeah, and that's a very Lovecraftian thing, by the way, too, that we said we would touch on that in the plot walkthrough. But opening up a window to another dimension and having it spill over is very yeah Lovecraftian, that there are these powerful things lurking just on the other side of our our senses and and they could break through at any moment right right yeah yeah it's a cool concept done well here it is yeah i i like it a lot uh i, I think you're right yeah this is, this is a strong film great sequences a lot of great scares i only ended up at three and a half uh bodies though or spiders coming out of bodies <laughs> because uh yeah I, the, the the on the nose commentary kind of killed it for me like that's what i love about zombie films or like a lot of the day of the deads or dawn of the deads is you see it play out it's not like talked about or spelled out to you uh so i, I thought that kind of made it dumb and then uh the cg effects on the initial monster kind of uh, took me even the mist i thought sometimes was kind of felt kind of heavy on the cg and then I thought you did have the one or two random dumb storylines like Sally at the grocery store and like what they try to plug in between her and her boyfriend there. Or like even the, some of the decisions the characters made, like going to the pharmacy to save one character or uh, escaping the grocery store. Some things I couldn't necessarily like jump on and jump in on. So for those reasons, I had to kind of knock it down. But otherwise, fun, fun movie and like great scares. For sure. Yeah, that was actually another complaint I may have hinted at earlier, but didn't touch on in my score yeah I'm, I'm not wild about david's changing logic throughout the movie like sometimes yeah. he thinks it's the dumbest thing you could do in the world to go outside and it's sometimes he's like yeah let's go outside and just run <laughs> to the pharmacy yeah and we he's don't really get to there. see his emotional ride of how he got from a to b or why he might have changed his mind yeah yeah right and Fair. yeah they maybe they took some shortcuts there with the character development or it could have been Th- thomas jane's acting i don't know but yeah I agree with your criticism, but I just think the highs and the like overall engagement I had with the movie just like put let me easily ignore those things. So yeah, yeah. I, my four point five is a strong four point five too. For I a minute, I was like, do I give this a five? Damn, I just think it's a cool fucking movie. Yeah, dude, you love Stephen King. I feel like uh, some of his movies you've given like like Doctor Sleep and stuff. You've uh, you've I feel like you like a lot of his adaptations. Yeah. Yeah, I think Stephen King is, um, I think he's so character focused that yeah, that's really what draws me in. And like I've said before, there are certain movies, I said it in the Prey episode, where I'm just like, whoops, I'm in, and I'm not, my critical brain is a little bit turned off. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. And that happens to me Watching fairly often with his stuff. And I, I think it's because of his fleshed out characters. Not not even just the main character, but l- lovable side characters too. Like mm-hmm. I'm on team Ollie all the way. I <laughs> did, was sad when he died. Yeah, I know. That was unfortunate. He was, he was a really cool character. I liked him a lot. Yeah. Yeah. He had yeah. a good cast here uh, and pretty well acted and a cool, cool roundup of characters. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, anything else? That's it. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our discussion on The Mist. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That'll help other people find our show. And we always appreciate the feedback. If you want to join in the discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com. Or you can shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We're going to announce next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We're also on Discord where you can find us and other fans of horror films on there and uh, talk about the show and horror films uh, and all other kinds of things. Um, The link to that is on our website. You can also find our merchandise on Amy Mae Popart's website. She does our logo and she's got some awesome coaster sets. You can find other episodes of ours on Patreon where Brian has recorded uh, most recently a review of the whole Health uh, Hellraiser franchise. So recommend checking that out. It's better than watching the movie. And until next time, if you are minutes away from killing your loved ones during an apocalypse, uh, count to 30 and see if anything changes. And if not, count to 30 again. Just keep counting until something changes. <laughs> but once you get to 90, you can go ahead. <laughs> then, then, then you don't see. Yeah. I'll do a little bit. What for? <laughs> what was it all for? <laughs> <laughs>